0: Chapter thirteen of the House with the Twisting Passage by Marion St. John Webb. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Zanusha the House with the Twisting Passage by Marion St. John Webb Chapter 13 Peter BOLLIN'S Tale Come in come in cried Peter Bolin rising and beaming and waving his hand toward Jenny Do come in I was just thinking about you Were you said Jenny shyly "'Yes, I was thinking, I wonder when my little lady will come and see me again. "'I've got something I want her to do badly. "'No, I don't mean that. "'I don't want it done badly, but I badly want it done.' "'Peter Bollin laughed. "'Look.' "'And he held up for Jenny's inspection a brown leather glove. "'No buttons,' he pointed out sorrowfully. They've both fallen off. Do you think you could possibly be so kind? Of course Jenny would sew the buttons on for him. She was only too glad to do it. She admired Peter bolin very much. He was a handsome, tall man with brown eyes and a charming smile, and his hair was glossy and had a slight wave in it. Jenny thought it lovely hair. He was going a little bit bald on the top of his head, only Jenny couldn't see this. "'I should love to sew the buttons on for you,' Jenny said, with her quiet, shy smile. "'Shall I go and fetch Aunt Abby's sewing-box?' "'If you would be so kind,' said Peter Bollin. "'But what can I do for you in return? "'You must let me do something, please.' ANY SPECIAL KIND OF SWEETS YOU LIKE?" JENNY SHOOK HER HEAD, OPENED HER MOUTH TO SPEAK, AND THEN CHANGED HER MIND AND SHUT IT AGAIN. WHAT IS IT? ASKED PETER BOLLIN, SMILING. IF YOU WOULD. I'D RATHER. I MEAN, I'D LIKE IT SO IF YOU COULD TELL ME A TALE. WITH YOU IN IT, JENNY SAID, A LITTLE BREATHLESSLY. "'Bless my heart! A towel! "'Well, so it shall be, then, with pleasure. "'You run and fetch the sewing-box while I think a minute, "'and as soon as you come back, we'll start.' "'Jenny hurried away to fetch the sewing-box, "'and when she returned, Peter Bolling was sitting in his big armchair, "'leaning back, smoking. "'He sat up and smiled as soon as she appeared. "'How's this for a start?' he said. In the house across the way, at ten o'clock each night, in the toppest window there will come a little light. I know exactly what it is. It's Peter Bollin's candle, carried in a little jug that hasn't got a handle. Oh, said Jenny. But what does it mean? That's what I'm going to tell you said peter Bolin, have you got the needle and thread good and the buttons splendid peter Bolin's candle i am a doctor in my young days it was my ambition to work among the poor especially poor children the rich i used to say to myself scornfully half their illnesses come through overfeeding "'and the other half through not having enough work to do. "'I was very young in those days, and very hot-headed. "'And when I went into the slums of London "'and saw the poor, half-starved, "'stunted little bits of humanity all about, "'my heart would ache with the pity of it all, "'the injustice of it all. "'And I would pace up and down my room at night, "'trying to forget what I had seen during the day.' and yet not wanting to forget it. My parents were rather disappointed in me. They wanted me to become a fashionable doctor, one who had wealthy patients. For that was the only way to get on and make money, they said. But when they realized that my ambition was set in another direction, they said no more, and let me go my way but i fear i was a sad disappointment to them well about that time i went and lived down in a poor quarter of london among the people i wanted to serve i rented two very clean little rooms in a house near one of the hospitals i attended all day i was busy out and about and the long evenings i spent with my books studying i had to be very careful with money in those days not having overmuch, and finding that my gas bill, when presented to me by my landlady, was always of alarming proportions, I took to using candles of an evening when I was reading. I used to sit at a big table with my books about me, my feet on a hassock, and a pipe in my mouth, and at my elbow a candle burning, which, as I told you, always stood in a little jug that hadn't got a handle. "'I liked it better than a proper candlestick. "'The jug had a wide top to it, which served me for an ashtray. "'One night I was sitting reading, as usual. "'A church clock nearby had just finished striking eleven, "'when I heard footsteps coming up the stairs toward the door of my room. "'I listened. "'I knew there was no one on the top floor at the present time, so that anyone climbing up as high as this must be coming to see me. I had few visitors in those days, and certainly did not expect any one that night. Outside my door the footsteps stopped, and then came a timid knock. I got up and opened it at once. A woman stood on the threshold. She was pale and large-eyed, AND SEEMED TO BE IN SOME DISTRESS. AS I HELD THE DOOR OPEN, THE LIGHT FROM THE FLICKERING CANDLE FELL FULL UPON HER. I COULD SEE THAT SHE WAS POORLY DRESSED, BUT NEAT AND TRIM. HER THICK BLACK HAIR WAS SPRINKLED WITH GRAY, AND HER HANDS, WHICH WERE FINGERING RESTLESSLY THE CORNER OF HER WHITE APRON, WERE ROUGHENED WITH WORK. THERE WAS A LINGERING CHARM ABOUT HER THIN, worn FACE, She had been a very pretty girl when she was young, undoubtedly. "'What is it?' I asked gently, for I could see she was trembling and nervous. "'Is there anything I can do for you?' "'Oh, sir!' she gasped, and the suspicion of a sob shook her voice. "'You—you are a doctor. Will you—will you do a great kindness?' come and see a child who is desperately in need of you He is so ill sir oh sir will you come quickly of course i will i said unhooking my coat from the back of the door is it far from here the woman twisted the corner of her apron round and round in her hands then she stepped inside the room and closed the door softly behind her it's "'It's a funny thing I'm going to ask you,' she said in a strained, queer voice. "'I looked at her in surprise and stood still with one arm in my coat. "'All the folk round here talk about you,' she said. "'I know what you're like. "'You're good to the poor like us, I've heard. "'That's why I'm going to ask you to do a strange thing.' "'You've promised to come to my boy. "'He was very ill. "'Perhaps dying.' "'I nodded. "'Well, we must have a doctor for him. "'But I don't let the doctor know what house he is being taken into. "'There is a special reason.' "'She looked straight into my eyes. "'Her lips were trembling. "'We stood looking at each other in silence for a few seconds.' "'The reason—' she began, then stopped again. "'Oh, sir, I can trust you, can't I?' she said imploringly. "'I can trust you.' "'You can rely on me,' I said. "'Tell me.' "'She began to speak very hurriedly. "'It's my little son I want you to come and see, but—' "'But he's in hiding from the police.' He has run away from a reformatory school. The magistrate sent him there for two years. But he wanted me, and he ran away. And now he is ill, so ill. I was frightened to go for a doctor. I don't want anyone to know the boy is with me. And then I thought of you. She was crying by this time. Poor soul, I thought. These mothers, how they suffer through their children. I wondered what the boy had done to be sent to a reformatory school, and how it was his mother had let him get into trouble. But there was no time for questions of that sort at the moment. "'I will come with you at once,' I said. "'You can trust me absolutely. I give you my word.' "'I had to explain about it now,' she sobbed. "'Because when we get near my house—' "'I'm going to ask you to close your eyes "'and give me your word of honour not to open them "'until I have led you inside. "'I have a special reason for asking you to do this. "'It's not that I don't trust you. "'I do, absolutely. "'But I'm certain it would be easier and better, "'better for you and better for us, "'if you do not recognise the house we live in. "'If the police come round making inquiries... I hesitated for a moment, telling her there was no need to take this precaution, but she seemed so upset at my hesitation that to humour her I gave way, and said I would do as she pleased. She told me then a little about the boy's illness, and I gathered together a few things in my bag. Then we descended the stairs to the narrow, draughty hall, and there I blew out my candle, which I had brought with me. "'and left it on the hall stand for my return. "'It was a raw, foggy night, "'and I noticed the woman shiver "'and pull her shawl close around her "'as we stepped into the street. "'She turned immediately to the right, "'outside the gate, "'and led the way to the end of the road, "'and then turned off into a network of side streets. "'We zigzagged in and out of these for a while, "'and then, as we came outside a small corner shop—a baker's, I think it was. She slackened her pace for an instant, and said, Now shut your eyes. I did so. I felt her catch hold of my arm, and then we walked on. It seemed to me that we walked a fairly long way after my eyes were closed, down streets and round several corners. Presently, however— We came to a sudden standstill, and I heard a door open. I felt myself being gently pushed forward into the house, and then, after a pause, came. Please open your eyes now. I opened them and found myself in a dim, narrow hall, very like the hall in the house where I lived, only the wallpaper was different. Glazed, shiny brown stuff, very shabby and partly peeled off. I did not notice anything more about my surroundings for the moment, as I was anxious to see my patient. I found him in an upstairs front room, tossing on a little bed in the corner. The room seemed clean and tidy, but bare and comfortless. A low fire smouldered in the grate. The boy... A dark-haired little fellow of about twelve was certainly very ill and in a high fever. I soon got to work and did what I could for him. "'I will stay a while,' I said. "'But meantime, is there anybody you could send to get a few things that he will need?' "'I will go myself,' she said. "'If you are staying here a bit, but—' "'That's all right.' I sensed her hesitation at once. Please, let me pay for the things now. We can settle up afterward. He must have these things. I scribbled down a list of things on the back of an envelope. Knock up a chemist. He'll let you have these. It's urgent, tell him. While she was gone, I sat quietly watching the face of the boy, who was in a drowsy, half-asleep state now what had he done i wondered to be sent to a reformatory he had not got the face of a bad boy where was his father i looked round the room and at the carefully drawn window blinds if i were to look out of that window possibly i should recognise at once where i was in which house i was for i knew the neighbourhood fairly well "'but not for the world would I have looked through the window. "'The boy's mother trusted me. "'It was wonderful how she did trust me, "'seeing how important to her her secret was. "'What could I do for this little chap?' I wondered. "'How had he got into the hands of the police? "'Even if his mother managed to hide him for a time, "'he would surely be found by the authorities sooner or later.' "'and be taken back to the reformatory to finish his term there. "'But the first thing was to get him better. "'Then I would see what could be done. "'Presently someone knocked with the knuckles on the room door, "'and before I could rise the door was opened softly "'and an old woman peeped in. "'How is he? "'Oh, I thought Mrs. Gray was here. "'Are you the doctor?' she said. "'I nodded. "'Poor dear, he does look bad,' she said, looking down at the sleeping boy. "'He is bad,' I said quietly. "'But I hope we shall be able to see a change for the better before long. "'How long has he been here?' I inquired. "'Do you mean how long has he been ill, or how long has he been living here? "'Because he hasn't been either long.' "'A day or two he's been ill, and him and his mother only came last week and took this room,' said the old woman, smoothing the blue apron she was wearing. "'I see,' I said. "'You are the owner of this house, I suppose?' She said she was, and would have gone on to give me more information, had not Mrs. Gray returned at that moment, laden with things.' She glanced quickly from me to her landlady. She seemed flurried and rather upset. The old woman lingered while I attended to the boy, but presently she went away, telling Mrs. Gray in a kindly voice to holler out if she wanted her help in any way. As soon as she was gone, Mrs. Gray turned to me. Doctor, she said, THE POLICEMAN FOLLOWED ME, I'M SURE HE DID. HE WATCHED ME KNOCKING AT THE CHEMIST'S SIDE DOOR, AND FOLLOWED ME ALL THE WAY HOME. DO YOU THINK HE RECOGNIZED ME? IS HE AFTER THE BOY?' She was all a-tremble again. "'Come, come, calm yourself. You mustn't give way like this,' I said, and did my best to reassure her. "'They won't take the boy from you while he's ill.' "'I forbid him to be moved. "'Doctor's orders. "'Besides, I don't suppose that policeman recognised you at all, "'on a foggy night like this, too. "'I stayed another hour, "'and then, as the boy was sleeping comfortably now, "'I said I must go, "'but would come again the next evening, "'unless she sent for me before that. "'I don't know how to thank you,' Mrs. Gray said. "'Don't,' I replied. "'Wait until he is better.' "'You do think he'll get better?' "'With care, I do,' I assured her. "'I left the house in the same manner as I arrived, with closed eyes. "'Mrs. Gray led me along several streets and round corners, "'and when she told me to open my eyes, I was at the same place, "'outside the little baker's shop.' where i had first closed them mrs gray did not send for me the next day but soon after ten o'clock at night she came and escorted me to the house in the same manner as on the previous evening on the way i suggested again that it was scarcely necessary for me to shut my eyes that even if i did know the house and the police came i would not give her away but she seemed so upset at the idea and begged me so earnestly to close my eyes but once again i gave way and after this i did not refer to the matter any more but always closed my eyes and allowed her to lead me to the house i found the boy a little better on my second visit and better still on the third evening for a week i continued to visit him each evening but the following week it was only necessary for me to look in twice After that he was up and about again. On the last visit I paid him, when he was practically well again, I got him to talk about himself and how it was that he had been sent to the reformatory school. It was a sad enough story, the parts he could not supply being filled in by his mother. The father was dead, it seemed, and the mother out at work all day, and the boy had run wild he had met bad companions who influenced him so that he got beyond his mother's control one day he and another boy committed a number of small thefts as they were not found out they ventured on something bigger and broke into a house where an old lady lived all alone they were caught brought up at the police court and the result was the reformatory school he was not a bad boy really said his mother not till those other boys got hold of him why did you run away from the school i asked the boy whose name i had learnt was joe i hated it he said and when i felt ill i wanted mother and he told me the whole story of how he had managed to escape no easy task to escape from the school i gathered How it was they had not traced him so far was the thing that made Joe marvel greatly. "'Well, how much longer had you to be in the school?' I inquired. "'Another three months,' his mother said. "'He's been there a year and nine months. "'And what do you propose to do now that you are well again? "'You can't go on hiding in this room for the rest of your life, you know,' I said. The mother shook her head hopelessly. "'We don't know what to do,' she said. "'If only we could get away. I have a sister who keeps a farm right down in Wales. I believe she'd take us for a time while I did work on the farm. Only it's dreadful. Dreadful to have to go about guiltily, always hiding, afraid of knocks at the door.' "'You mustn't do that,' I said. Shall I tell you what I should do if I were you? I turned to the boy. He nodded, watching me anxiously. The look in his eyes made my heart ache, so I turned my gaze away, fixing it on a scrap of torn wallpaper over the fireplace. If I were you, I should go back to the school, I said. Give myself up, "'and finish out the three months. "'I know it sounds hard, old chap, "'but isn't it better to stick it for the three months "'and then be free, "'and go down with your mother to Wales and start afresh, "'instead of going about for weeks in fear and trembling? "'For it would only be a matter of weeks. "'They'd be sure to get you sooner or later, "'and then it would be all the harder for you.' "'Oh, don't!' His mother began to cry quietly. Don't send him back. It's not that I will send him back, I said. Joe will go back of his own accord, and bear it like a man for his mother's sake, so that she won't have to go about afraid of knocks at the door. If he goes back, it will be better for you both in the long run. Can't you see that it will? I urged. I hated giving them this advice, but I felt sure it was the best course. Yet I dared not look at the boy's face while I was speaking, or I could not have gone on. How I wished I could have taken him away and given him a fresh start. He was a good little chap at heart, I felt sure, but he was weak-willed and easily influenced. Given a proper chance, he would turn out a decent man. "'You think it over, Joe,' I said. "'Talk the matter over between you. "'And if you decide to go back, Joe, "'I'll go with you and explain that it was owing to illness "'that you ran away home, and that I've been attending you, "'and that now you are well again, "'you have come back to finish your term. "'Perhaps this will save you from any punishment. "'I'll do my best anyway. "'If you decide to do this, come and fetch me.' IT IS ENTIRELY IN YOUR HANDS, FOR I STILL DO NOT KNOW WHERE THIS HOUSE YOU LIVE IN IS SITUATED. AND NOW, MRS. GRAY, IF YOU WILL leave ME OUT AS USUAL, I FINISHED, I SHALL BE OBLIGED. GOOD NIGHT, JOE, AND GOOD LUCK TO YOU. AND, JOE, FOR YOUR MOTHER'S SAKE, BE A MAN. I TOOK ONE GLANCE AT JOE'S WHITE, SCARED FACE, AND hurriedly TOOK MY DEPARTURE. When I got back to my lodgings, I found a policeman waiting for me on the landing outside my door. "'If I might just have a word with you, sir,' he said. "'Certainly,' I replied. "'Come in.' And I placed my lighted candle on the table. "'Well,' he said, "'I know you're interested in the children hereabouts, and know a rare lot of them, and I've been wondering if you could help me find a boy I'm looking for.' it would be doing the other children a good turn to help me find him he's a bad influence run away from a reformatory school he has a thorough bad lot regular nuisance to his poor mother and a real danger to the other children we believe he's somewhere in this neighbourhood hiding and we was wondering if you had happened to come across him i looked at the policeman how much did he know i wondered "'Had he been following me at any time?' "'What's the boy's name?' I asked abruptly. "'Joe Brunswick his name was,' answered the policeman, "'and then brought a notebook out of his pocket and consulted it, "'as if to make sure of this fact. "'I had wondered if Gray was Joe's real surname. "'Brunswick,' I repeated, then shook my head. "'No, I haven't come across any one with that name.' "'You might know the boy by sight, then,' said the policeman. And the policeman began describing Joe in such a way that I should never have recognised him. "'Crafty little face,' the policeman said. "'Regular bad lot.' "'I don't recall any boy answering to that description,' I said. "'Oh,' said the policeman, We was in hopes that you would help us, if you should come across him. You'd be doing a service, sir, if you'd kindly inform— I'll keep a lookout,' I said. "'I know most of the children round here, and I've got a good memory for faces. I never forget a face once I've seen it.' This was a stupid thing to have said. I realized it was a mistake, directly the words had left my mouth. "'Ah! I'm glad of that.' "'said the policeman, feeling in his pocket. "'I've just remembered. "'I brought a photo with me of this boy I was describing to you. "'Here it is. "'Have you ever seen that face before?' "'And the policeman put in my hand a photograph of Joe. "'I looked at the weak, nervous face in the photograph, "'and considered. "'But this is not a bit like the boy you described, Constable,' I said. "'to gain time while I made up my mind what to say next. "'This is not a crafty face. "'It's only weak. "'It's what I calls crafty,' said the policeman. "'Well, anyway, the face seems familiar to me,' I admitted. "'I said I never forget a face, and I don't. "'I have seen this boy somewhere, but where?' "'At any rate, if I see this boy again, I shall know it's Joe. "'What did you say the name was? Brunswick?' "'That's right, sir,' said the policeman. "'I suppose you don't happen to have seen the face recently. "'Could you remember?' he added. "'I looked at him sharply. "'Something in the tone of his voice alarmed me. "'You don't happen to have been in a house.' QUITE RECENTLY, WHERE YOU SAW A BOY, SOMETHING LIKE THIS? ASKED THE POLICEMAN. I HAVE TOLD YOU, CONSTABLE, I BEGAN. BUT THE POLICEMAN RAISED HIS HAND AND beckoned ME TOWARD THE WINDOW. WOULD YOU MIND BLOWING OUT YOUR CANDLE FOR A MINUTE, SIR? HE SAID. I LOOKED AT HIM WONDERINGLY, THEN DID WHAT HE ASKED, KEEPING THE CANDLE IN MY HAND READY TO LIGHT AGAIN. The policeman drew back the curtains before my window, and pointed through the pane to the window of a house directly opposite, on the other side of the road. The window he pointed to was heavily curtained, but a chink of light at the top suggested that the room was inhabited. "'You don't happen to have been in that house, that room, to-night,' he said. "'Come, sir, I'm afraid it's no use your denying it and though I appreciate your kindness of heart in trying to shield the boy, it's no use, sir. What do you mean? I demanded. To the best of my knowledge, I've certainly not been in that house tonight, or any other night. There was silence for a few moments, while the policeman drew my curtains to again, and I relit the candle. Well, I'm sorry, sir, said the policeman solemnly. It must have been my mistake. I distinctly saw you, or rather thought I saw you, coming out of that house with a lady, and you walked away all round the streets and round and round and into your gate here. I am very surprised to hear that I have been in that house opposite, I said. I did not know that I had, which was perfectly true, but I could see that the policeman did not believe me. I am sorry, sir, "'he said again. "'I thought you'd have helped me.' "'I'm really telling you the truth,' I protested. "'He looked at me, but said no more, "'except to wish me good-night. "'Good-night, constable,' I said, "'and as I heard his heavy boots descending the stairs "'my heart sank, for I knew that in spite of my efforts "'a warrant would be out tomorrow to enable the police "'to search the house opposite to mine.' the purpose of finding Joe Brunswick. I sat down by my table and thought for a while. I had never dreamed it would be the house opposite. I had thought it many streets away. What could I do now to help Joe and his mother? If only the boy had gone back to the reformatory before the police had found him. But they hadn't found him, yet— I dare not go across and warn Joe. My policeman, or another one, would probably be watching the house. I was glad it was so late at night. A few hours must elapse before the warrant could be out. At that moment came another knock at my door. I got up and opened it, wondering if it was the policeman come back. "'Joe!' I exclaimed, as the boy stepped into the room. You at this time of night, and this night of all nights. I had to come at once, sir, said Joe, to tell you I've made up my mind to go back, sir, if you'll take me. I thought I'd better come and tell you now while I while I felt I could, and then when I'd promised you it, I knew I'd go. And the reason, Joe? I asked. "'wondering if he had any suspicion about the policeman. "'But his next words and the look he gave me banished that thought. "'A tinge of colour crept into the boy's pale cheeks. "'It was what you said, sir,' his voice faltered. "'I understood and held out my hand. "'Shake hands, Joe,' I said. "'And then I told him about the policeman.' "'But we'll get ahead of him,' I said, "'and go by the first possible train, "'before they come to search your house. "'Fancy you're living right opposite me all the time, "'and I never knew.' Joe nodded. "'He used to watch for the light in my window every evening,' he said. "'His mother used to pull the curtains apart, "'a tiny slit at one side, "'so that he could see Peter Bollin's candle from his bed.' "'When you come back again, Joe, in three months' time,' I said, "'I'll take you straight down into Wales to join your mother. "'I'll see she goes off there as soon as possible. "'Do you know how to ride a bicycle?' "'No. "'Oh, well, you'd soon learn. "'I know of one you might like to have. "'It would be useful in the country. "'You shall have it directly you come out.' "'Now that he was going back,' I felt I must give him something to look forward to. Joe's eyes gleamed. We made our plans quickly. It was past midnight now, and I thought it wiser that Joe should stay with me for the night, and we would start out very early in the morning. But how were we to let Joe's mother know? It was against her wishes that he had run across the road in the dark. "'but he had told her he felt he must come. "'I must go across,' I said, "'and just risk the policeman's seeing me. "'It's a very dark night, luckily. "'She'll be down by the front door waiting, I expect,' said Joe. "'Which she was. "'All the rest of the house was in darkness, "'and she was waiting quietly just inside the front door.' I explained things to her rapidly, and now that Joe had decided to go back to the reformatory, she was as anxious for him to go before the police got him as I was. She quickly fetched his hat and coat, and one or two things from her room, and handed them to me. She agreed that it was better for her not to try to see him before he went, in case in the early hours of the morning she should be seen by the policeman." "'I will take every care of Joe,' I assured her, and hastened back to my rooms. "'In the early hours of the morning, just before dawn, Joe and I set out, "'and travelled safely back to the reformatory school. "'I explained matters to the head, and fortunately was able to get Joe off from punishment. "'I promised to be responsible for him when he came out.' and my last memory of him as he was led away was of a pale, scared little boy trying to smile as he bid me good-bye. I went home and walked up and down my room all the evening. The following day I made arrangements for Mrs. Grey, or Mrs. Brunswick as she really was, to go down into Wales. I'll bring Joe down myself as soon as he's out, I promised her. You go and be getting a place ready for him. I don't know however I'm to pay you, she said. I don't want to be paid. I've taken a liking to Joe, I told her frankly. Three months passed quickly with me, busy at my work. But Joe said afterward they seemed three years to him. When the day of Joe's release arrived, I, almost as excited as he was, went and fetched him away. We came back to London and had a fine dinner at a restaurant, and then I took him down to his mother in Wales. "'Remember, Joe,' I said to him in the train, "'I've promised to be responsible for you now, so don't get me into trouble. "'You won't fail me, will you?' Joe promised, very quietly, but very earnestly." "'and he kept his word. "'All this happened some years ago, "'when I was a young man, "'but I've never lost sight of Joe. "'He's grown into a proper man, "'a fine fellow, "'and he's got a farm of his own now in Wales, "'and his old mother does the housekeeping for him. "'Do you know what started me thinking of him again today? "'This old ashtray I keep up on the mantelpiece. "'When I started to smoke,' I reached for it, and you see what it is. I keep it. Why do I keep it? Out of affection, I suppose. It used to be my old candlestick, this little jug that hasn't got a handle. End of chapter 13